Hey everyone, welcome back to my podcast. This is Aaron Smith with the Contextual Insurgent Project. It's been a little bit of a delay here for a while. I kind of took a break from everything when I got back from Ukraine, but I had some interesting questions come in. Um, and I wanted to get together with Tech Bro Tito. He's here with me today. Mr. Ruvia. And I had some questions um, from some of my followers, and I wanted to answer those. One of my, you know, if you followed me for a while, you've probably noticed that I'm someone who... You know, I'm not. I'm not a black pillar. I'm not a doomer. I'm not. You know, this is very common on right-leaning peoples. You hear them. You know, oh, everything's lost. We're never going to win. We're going to forever and ever. You know, sentenced to failure. And I've never really bought into that. Um, you know, if you remember when I was posting and talking about the November 2020 elections, I was like, hey, look, guys, this is. You know, it didn't go. We didn't get everything we wanted. Obviously, we. You know, we didn't get Trump back in. But there's a lot of signs there um that things were not working out for the left in the long term uh anyway you know but i had another question about that recently i was like look folks it's 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 this isn't you know lost forever i was like this is we're gonna win and and i wanted to kind of expand on it because someone actually asked me well can you explain more about your position i'm like yeah you know I, i will actually i think it's really important for um, me to actually not only explain why a little bit more, but also kind of step back and kind of give some of the meta explanations for why. And I wanted to get Tech Tito here with me to kind of give his always valuable input. So to start off with here, you know, obviously I'm someone who, who thinks, and again, if you've been paying attention to anything with the polls, you've probably seen a massive shift against the left. It's looking like a generation, a once in a generation blowout, actually probably even more than that. Once in a generation electoral blowout, something would be equivalent to 1994. And this is even seems to be fundamental, like the fundamentals and the sentiments are even further than that. This is like almost like a once in a century wave election that's coming up. Not just in the sentiments and the fundamentals, but just, you know, everything else that's going on. It's just nothing but a wall of bad news for the Dems here. Um, I want to step back here and kind of explain a little bit more about what I'm seeing and why it's it's it it doesn't help us to explain the small like the small stuff is always very important and it's good to break that down, but sometimes you have to step back because you know again I realize so much of what how I look at things and how I see things and how I parse them is coming at it from a different direction than other people. So let me step back and just kind of explain you know the five mile view looking down at how I look at society and and what the trends are i think fundamentally just to begin with the culture the society that we live in um if you could define it try to explain it's very basic simple like in a few words like what is the basic characteristic of the world we live in well in the modern early 21st century western society that we live in um you could probably say that the trait the the overriding trait is we live in a society that encourages this atomized hedonism while providing sort of a material upgrade, constant upgrade, that is kind of over overwhelms the social pathologies that naturally follow from those that atomized hedonistic worldview. So that's that's really a tension. There's there's two things, you know, the, the atomized individual that's encouraged to explore you know their self-actualization at all costs and then we have an economic system that provides material support and a standard of an ever-increasing standard of living and lifestyle and gadgets and treats that kind of you know distract people from 
all the bad things that flow from that sort of a mindset. Now, sort of the issue we're looking at here, though, is in the last couple of years, we're very much running out of this economic, um, ever-increasing economic lifestyle and, and standard of living that cushions that. And it also goes to another thing here. And, you know, there's really, you can look at things like the economic factors or the social factors of any type of political movement. And what we're seeing, and again, this is this is not, I'm not the first person to come up with this. This is stuff other people have said for a while now. Um, people are only really interested in being socially adventuresome or tolerant as long as the economic conditions are taken care of. So, you know, as long as the economic, uh, economy is good, people have a fridge full of food, gas is cheap, um, there's no massive disorder, then they're a little bit more open to giving you special pronouns. But if people can't afford gas or no food, um, you know, the city, no one, the police don't respond when your car is broken into repeatedly, there's, there doesn't appear to be any order, they're much less open to being tolerant of purple hair and weird pronouns and we see this again like it's interesting because san francisco is is kind of a bellwether of this because it's such a wacky city but you've seen this massive turn in the last year or so it started you know again it's 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 san francisco is a fairly far left place but it's as hard as it is to believe it's not even the hardest left place in the in the bay that would be like berkeley by far but still it's it's a fairly far left place <clears throat> and you saw this like in 2020 there the when wokeness went extra crazy some of the um school commit the school commissioners there they started doing stuff like trying to rename after the schools are shut down the kids are sitting at home they're not learning anything and they start instead of focusing on getting kids in school and getting them educated they start trying to rename the schools and then they start revoking like there's a school in san francisco um well, let me go back. They start renaming the schools. You start talking about wokeness, all these special programs and everything. And that was aggravating people. What really what really snapped things was the point where, again, they're, they're refusing to even talk about getting kids back into school to learn. They went after Lowell High School, which if you don't know about the Bay Area, Lowell High School is, or at least it was, the merit-based admission public's high school in San Francisco. It was incredibly selective. All the other schools in San Francisco, it's basically a lottery. All the other high schools. You know, you go to whichever one, you know, they pull your name out of a hat and go to that high school. With the exception of Lowell, which Lowell was, you had to compete to get into it. Um, you had to work really hard, be very smart, and it was like 80% Asian. So again, the Asian community is very, they take education very seriously. They took Lowell High School very seriously. So they made Lowell a, they decided to revoke that policy and make it just a, you know, um, draw the hat high school like the rest and the Asian community basically mobilized they went apeshit they mobilized after that and ended up getting three of the commissioners recalled on the school board and then they got so pissed off at Chessa Boudin who was the DA there who was the weather underground child the red diaper doper baby um, his parents you know he was raised by Bill Ayers uh, his, his um, parents were you know, but Kathy uh, he was raised by Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn as Bernadine Dorn, parents. Yeah. This is important because Bernadine Dorn is still top suspect in unsolved murder of police officer in San Francisco of bombing in the uh, in the Golden Gate Park. Golden Gate Park. She is still top suspect. So literally, literally, 
uh, raised by uh, top suspect of killing San Francisco cop, became DA of San Francisco. Yeah, so again, you know, there's been a, a, a fairly, again, it, it depends on how you define violent crime. You know, people are parsing um, a lot of definitions, but the reality is, you know, the Asians have been a target of a lot of the East Bay gangs for a while now. Um, and they will come over there and rob a lot of the shopkeepers. And again, there was a lot of, you know, street people, the homeless exploded there in town and they started attacking random elderly Asian people, which again, the Asian elders, that's like another like red line for them. So again, the Asians got together and, and they're always been a political force in San Francisco and they tossed Chessa out. So that, again, that's, that's two big things in a place where, you know, that's fairly far left, but they were not, you know, teaching the kids and putting order in society wasn't being met so they didn't care about the social aspect of pronouns or all this you know wokeness or trying to defund the police like they just literally didn't give a shit it's like it's social issues are basically a luxury you have when your society is stable and functional and when it isn't being stable or functional people really don't care uh, so San Francisco is really, of all places, San Francisco is kind of the, the canary in the coal mine that tells us what's coming. And we're sort of seeing this. Again, I've talked about, one of the things I've talked about here is, um, you know, the seventh party system. About every 40 years or so, the American political system uh, just kind of jumbles together. And all the coalitions kind of get together and they figure out who's, you know, they try to, it, all of a sudden everything's up, up for grabs again. You know, and, and like everyone's shuffling around. States may flip from Republican to Democrat um, fairly dramatically over like, you know, anywhere from four to ten years. There's this weird flux period. And we're sort of seeing that again. We were overdue for that. It's the last one was in like the 1970s. And like now I think Trump really kind of triggered or basically, you know, it was coming. And the two parties before were trying to prevent it. And Trump came in like like the Kool-Aid man and smashed through the wall and, and allowed this this reshuffling to happen. And we're seeing this now with like Hispanics and Asians who are breaking very hard for the GOP and they're breaking very hard against the Dems. Um, a man named, there's a Democratic strategist named Roy Teixeira who was actually the person who popularized the idea of the Rainbow Coalition, or Rainbow Coalition with Jesse Jackson. But he, he um, popularized the idea, he wrote a book he wrote a book called like the Emerging Democratic Majority, which was about the demographic change, you know, that was coming to America and how, you know, the Dems were going to have a lockup on the Asians and Hispanics and all the other minorities. And he's basically disavowed that idea. He's been writing about this for like the last year now. He's like, you know, again, you have to think this is a guy who was very proud of something and became very popular. And he's like, you know, that thing I'm famous for. Turns out I was wrong. So you have to you have to think when a man publicly admits how wrong his major thesis, that one that put him on the map, is. That says something very dramatic about what's happening. Um, I'm gonna play this quick clip here of something that was. It's interesting. Is David Frum from the 2016 election, November 2016, when it became apparent, it, like Trump was 20, 244 electoral at the time this was was recorded. Trump had 244 electoral votes to Hillary Clinton's 20, 216. And she, um, it was at this point, it was already apparent Trump was going to win. But I want to play this clip and we're going to discuss this with TechBro when we come back. What's going to be so troubling is the following. The, the operating theory of the Democratic Party is the idea of the Rainbow Coalition. Mm -hmm. that there's a core of um, 
whites, especially white males, and everybody else is around the core. And what you can do is you can in unite all of the periphery against the core. And the assumption is that all those different groups will all have more in common with each other than any of them do with the group at the middle. That's been the guiding theory of the Democratic Party since the late 1980s. What if it's not true? Wow, that clip's pretty interesting for several reasons. I mean, that was CBC News, which is a Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. David Frum was saying that on a panel election night, November 2016. Um, it's, it's, there's several things to take away from that, in my opinion. The first thing, you know, we're not going to dwell on this too much, but it's an interesting example of Anton's parallax, the celebration parallax, which is, he's like, yeah, you know, it's, um, you know, the, the intention of the Democratic Party is to bring the minorities against everyone else and, and put them against the white people. But it's very interesting because, you know, he's openly admitting something like that. Number one, he's openly admitting it. And if someone said that, if like you know, I, if, if I got up there as a Republican and said that was the intention of the Democrats, you know, I would be attacked for that and called a conspiracy theorist. But if you're someone who thinks it's a good thing, you can openly say that in public and no one even bats an eye at it. And that's something called the celebration parallax that Michael Anton came up with, that depending whether or not you're allowed to say something depends very much on whether or not you think it's a good thing or if you think it's a bad thing. But the second thing there is he's kind of admitting it's not true, um, or that it, at least it's it's starting to feel very badly. Um, and this was the thing Roy Teixeira has said as well. It's like, you know, my idea was wrong. And you're, you're seeing more and more Dems say this sort of thing. But, um, you know, again, it's like Roy Teixeira said it, David Shore said it, and you're seeing this in the polls now where the Democrats are shifting so hard to, uh, where, the, where the Hispanics especially are shifting so hard because, again, you know, the economic... Yeah, the economic stuff is not being taken care of. The social order is not being taken care of. So at that point, people don't care, um, you know, about pronouns or purple hair or sexuality. It's not something people care about. That's a luxury belief, and it's when the basics are not taken care of, it's not a very persuasive argument. Um, another thing there that I, I want to talk on and touch on this is it's interesting because. And I think this goes to another thing that, that's so hard for the Dems, because there was an interesting piece that came out a couple of days ago from Ryan Grimm. I think it was in the Business Sense. It was an Interceptor. I can't remember exactly. I'll, I'll link it in the uh, in the description. But it was really interesting, because he was doing a deep dive into some of the pro-abortion groups and how they're effectively dysfunctional at this point, because so many of the rank-and-file people are engaged in these woke battles where they're trying to... Um, engage in, in this sort of combat and, you know, grievance politics. And people now were like a, 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 a nonprofit director that was focused on like abortion rights would spend maybe half their time trying to focus on keeping all the people that work for them together and acting, you know, productively. And the other half on actually advancing the cause of the group. They're effectively non-functional now because it's all about internecine combat. Like, they're not actually accomplishing anything. They're just literally trying to keep people from killing each other. Um, you know, with all the diversity, equity, inclusion stuff they're trying to push, it's especially bad in a lot of these leftist organizations. And another thing that's happening here, and this is why they're basically becoming more and more dysfunctional, is <clears throat> what's happening is, you know, so much of what's going on now, um, a lot of these woke beliefs, they're luxury beliefs, but they're also like a status symbol, and they're part of, this combat, this intra-elite combat, like these people, like people like David Shore, like David Shore is that democratic strategist who 
got fired in the mid 2020s mid 2020 because he's like hey guys this rioting is not going to work like here's a study from a black guy it, as well you know he, he just shared a study from from a black academic that said you know rioting tends to blow up in your face electorally um and david shore just shared it and says hey look maybe should we should pay attention to this and he ended up losing his job for that and this is really one of the, the things that when it's when your belief is a luxury good and it's a status symbol um, and you've got too many people fighting for too few positions, it's very hard for these people to come out and stand up and say, hey, we need to shift and turn because the things we're doing right now are not going to work for us. They're going to blow up in our face because, you know, that is one of those things where it's basically cutting your own throat. So they're kind of stuck in this echo chamber and people who try to dissent and try to raise their voice and say, we need to change here, um, that that is about the quickest way to get fired. So, you know, it, that's not really, they seem to be unlikely to change. And, and there's so much blowback if you paid attention to the SFDA recall. Um, there's all these crazy things in, in lefty land where they're like basically blaming the whole thing on, you know, San Francisco is actually a really conservative place. And, and it's like, wait, what? <laughs> they're, they're thinking like, I saw someone actually claim, like a blue check claim with all seriousness that, San Francisco is filled with crypto Republicans. That's why they recalled Chessa and the, the school board got thrown out. I mean, that's the sort of logic they're into right now. San Francisco is actually a GOP city all along. And, you know, it's just like that. that's what's really happening. Um, you know, when, you, when, when that's your ex explanation for why you keep losing, then things are probably not going to change anytime soon. Um, so what do you think there, tech bro? I'm sorry, I've been talking for a little while kind of pounding on a bunch of different points but you know you're sitting here you've been listening and we've kind of talked about a little bit about this off you know off the internet what do you think well i think you f you face problem where specifically they have built system to delegitimize you know to people share and think it think it it it, it says important things which it doesn't by itself but people will share the Yuri Bezmenov talking about the uh, de uh, demoralization and how when people are demoralized, they simply can't uh, can't think logically and all that. And, you know, it's overplayed, but there is an element of that which is very important to see. And it's really, as I said, the, the left has a great delegitimization engine. They work off of delegitimizing, right? Like, um, specifically, they will say, uh, you know, not that you're wrong, but you're racist. They will not say, they will not say that you're wrong or that statistics are wrong, but you're a bigot. They will they will get you canceled from job not because they can they can actually argue or that you're incorrect, but to make you shut up. So it's up it's based off of power delegitimization, and this is an important tool in toolbox. Quite frankly, uh, the right hasn't used and hasn't understood and hasn't combated. This is why left is effective. They have both they have both soft power and hard power, and they they make people pay penalties for things. So. Uh, so specifically, what what I what I mean essentially is they can't do a failure analysis of the Chase Boudin, or they can't do things specifically because intersectionality uh, de demands essentially that uh, that anyone that, that anyone that wishes to pull back on the on the intersectional fight is essentially an enemy within the ranks because of course there's always more injustices to find and these go these go couples into John Robb's uh, network uh, uh, network warfare theory essentially 
where uh, essentially problem is the, the, the swarm has basically gotten activated on topics and they don't have a way to uh, to get toned down and without exterior forces, without recognized authority that uh, that, that actually runs the system, these take on essentially a life of their, their own, essentially like Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, um, I, I know um, Rob Johns talked about this some and I, I know my friend like BJ Campbell talked about this as well. Um, they, they used the word like egregore, which is like a type of collective being so to speak i mean it's it's not in a literal sense but it's like it's like a swarm mind like a swarm intelligence type of situation um i guess it's almost kind of like an updated version of when people used to talk about anonymous on 4chan they everyone would pretend anonymous was one person and it's kind of like that but it's kind of like a cumulative swarm behavior um an emergent intelligence, so to speak. And, and you sort of see that, but it's also very primitive in a sense. And I think you see, um, you know, they're un unable to really kind of turn. Once you start heading in a direction, There, it, it's very difficult for them to backtrack. But I think what's one thing, um, and one, one of the, actually it's really interesting, two books that I think are, are, are very instructive about some of the things you see on the left and the right. And these are two good books to read and, and kind of, because... Um, they kind of talk about the same thing from two different perspectives. It's um, Homage to Catalonia from Orwell, which is about you know his experience in the Spanish Civil War as, as one of the the socialist side. He was on the, the Republican, which was the socialist side. And there's another one called Mine War of Trouble by Peter Kemp, who was a nationalist. He was fighting with Franco, um, young young British guy. I mean, they're both... They're both Englishmen, which is really interesting because they're both two Englishmen who went to the Spanish Civil War to fight on opposite sides, and it's very they're very interesting books because and I think the relevant part for to take away from these two books is you get to see the right and the left's failure modes. Even ninety years ago, they were covering this, and it's very interesting how you see this today. The right and the left still have the same failure mode, which is. The left, when they fail, it's this really bizarre puritanism and this type of purging. You know, Orwell almost got ended up getting shot because of, you know, lack of, like, loyalty. There was a suspected lack of loyalty, and he almost got shot. Um, and then Kemp is over there, and it's really interesting because I'm trying to remember the guy's name. I would mangle it. But um, there was this, this Spanish baron who was, like, a complete whack job. Um, he just believe, and like this is the rights failure mode, which is weird, kooky ass shit. Like if it's QAnon or whatever, there's just wild ass crazy beliefs that right wing people tend to fall into. Um, and this Baron had these crazy ass beliefs. Like he thought like the boot blacks, like people who polished boots, were like behind the so like the the socialist revolutions. He used to have all of them shot whenever he went somewhere. And he also thought like like indoor plumbing was part of encouraged communism or something because it was like it encouraged people like instead of walking outdoors to an outhouse or something like he just had this it was like this guy ended up shooting his son after the war was over and there was a, a gunfight and he ended up being killed he ended up going to like a mental hospital but yeah it was really interesting because there's this, this very wealthy guy who's completely mentally unhinged and believes these insane things just really bizarre conspiratorial beliefs and then you have the leftists who are out basically they're trying to one-up each other with their pure, with their ideological puritanism. 
But it's really interesting because you see these, even today, you see the same failure modes kind of manifesting themselves. Well, this, this, this goes to sort of political theory of what political parties are looked to, looked to do. Uh, one of the problems is essentially on, uh, in America, right is, is uh, the right, people that are on the right will call themselves conservatives. What does conservative do? They, they fight for what exists. They don't advance things. They don't make things happen. So, for instance, uh, you know, Ron DeSantis demonstrably is not a conservative because he's not conserving institutions. He's not conserving uh, Disney's, Disney's, you know, Disney's special role in Florida. He is changing it. He is going on the attack. He's going on the offensive. The European the right has figures you can point to. Uh, you know, probably Bismarck's one of the best examples that, that you know, you can point to, you know, uh, uh, you know, his famous quote, you know, I, I, Glove, you know, uh, was it a hand of steel with a velvet glove around it? Um, but he uh, he created social social uh, social insurance for the German people. Uh, he united Germany. He also engaged in wars to expand Germany. And he was a right wing man. You could not say he wasn't. You know, I think he was quoted as uh, uh, the, the three Ks, which is the culture, kitchen, um, Kinder, which is children, uh, culture, kitchen. Uh, I forget all the German, but the point is, uh, that's what he advanced for women, but the point is he advanced right-wing things, you know, including some left-wing proposals, but in a way that was considered good for essentially right-wing people and advanced society. Nixon actually had similar aspects to him. He considered UBI. He uh, depegged gold, which again has problems with it certainly, but he depegged the gold uh, the gold backing of the U.S. dollar and all this finally ended the, the gold thing. The point is, he was actually a visionary trying to do things. Whereas when you when people think of conservatives, they think of right wing people in America. They tend to name people like uh, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan, uh, many positive things, many positive memories. But what about Ronald Reagan? He had a sin single uh, single issue that people remembered them on, basically. Going to war with the Soviet Union by other means, essentially, to delegitimize. And also, you know, mourning in America, making things better, and just, just, just dialing things back technocratically. But not advancing things, not actually proposals to, to, to move forward. So what, what you're faced then with is you're faced with people like Jimmy Carter, who's considered a failure, but before he left, he managed to create nuclear regulations that make creating nuclear power plants in America well nigh impossible these days because of the, all, the, all, all the red tape he put up. Whereas, uh, you know, right-wing people don't think in terms of these generational things. So the failure, so that going off, I was going a little overboard, but the point is to bring it back. The failure mode of the left is when they're trying to create things so much that they actually uh, that they actually turn on each other with their creations. Well, I, I, you know, you are you are the real fascist keeping me back from this uh, from this creation I'm doing. Here's my creation thing, and they try to create uh, things in, in in weird directions. The right tends to fail in directions where they get uh, where since they consider themselves conservative and fighting against things, they fight against the wrong thing, or they get obsessed with a Don Quixote esque you know, charging at windmills as opposed to charging at the, the, the real dragons, the real things that would advance. And so that's why I, what I see in the failure modes of right versus left. Now, I think that's a really good point. Um, that really does go back to, you know, this sort of focus on like stasis and slow, you know, there, there's so much on the right wing um, mindset is based around the idea that, you know, at least the left has good intentions. That's kind of the unspoken assumption. It's like Absolutely. they mean the good things, but like they're just a little too, a little too rambunctious at it. We need to dial that back some. And and that's one of the things where I think it's becoming more and more apparent that there's there's nothing there on that. Like these, so many of these people. And again, it's one of the things where 
leftism is is a thing that encourages people to be more and more um just you know you want to be the more aggressive more visionary person because it's you know the person who uproots more things than the other person is the one who has more morality because they've they've entangled it with morality and you know, like the world is in is a terrible place and we must reshape it so if you don't think you know the the person who wants to change more than you is intrinsically better because they have more morality behind them because they see more that's wrong that to be changed and they're more visionary um and and the left the the right doesn't really have an answer to that anymore it's like so much has been un- uprooted and again that goes back or go ahead you want to say something well th- there is positive of course right now to, to to not be fully negative you know not not to just be uh, the negative nelly to your to your uh, to your uh, positive candide-esque uh, you know uh, perspective the positive thing is the left has abandoned so many principles, like Julian Assange, for instance. I remember in 2008, he was cause-celeb for the left, for the, the actual left, for actual radical environmentalist anarchal types. You know, Julian Assange was celebrated as, as bringing down uh, centralized power of corrupt governments. This was a good thing, and now he's been abandoned, essentially. He's been essentially abandoned by the organized left, you know, except for, and, you know, while their institutions say things, ACLU says things, uh, that's certainly not what they're pushing for. They're not organizing protests. They're too busy protesting Kavanaugh, marching outside that house, than to, to talk about, essentially, uh, one of the most important journalists in certainly the 21st century and perhaps perhaps in America's past, really, uh, you know, and uh, watching the sort of willful destruction, the destruction of sovereignty of, you know, foreign countries and, uh, you know, the, the ripping up, essentially, of the idea of reporters and, and free speech, essentially. Uh, they, they've abandoned it. So people like uh, Trump, for instance, uh, said good things about Assange but left him twisting in the wind. Glenn Greenwald has talked about this. Uh, this is a problem, but really that was from pressure brought on him. Basically, the left has abandoned so many um, common sense things and generally and you know things that you have a hard time arguing against they basically have no moral standing at this point they have lost any moral legitimacy uh, to, to argue for that yeah I think so many of the things that leftists propose these days it's again it's it's not about the the thing itself as it is more about trying to one-up one another with you know their moral purity and it's also um, so much of it is just a pose. It's it's so cynical these days. It's you know the the, the left that exists. That you know we've talked about the old left versus the new left, which is very interesting because you have people like um, Bernie Sanders, who was one of the, probably the last people left of the old left. And now it, it, even he's been fully subsumed into you know the the leftist order that exists and has taken over the institutions. Um, there's that one uh, clip I played of Bernie Sanders before. I've referenced it several times in other podcasts, where he's talking about you know immigration. He's like, no, no, you know, immigration is a open borders is a right wing proposal mm-hmm. because it's about it's so funny because Ezra Klein's sitting there like with his mouth open in absolute shock as Bernie Sanders is like, no, open borders is like that's right wingers want that because they want cheap labor. It's like you can't have a nation without borders. You know, it's like. Think of all the poor people here that need jobs, and you you want to bring in foreigners to do that? And it's funny because Ezra Klein's eyes are, like, rolling back in his head, and, like, he just can't. He's just completely poleaxed. Um, but that was the old left position, and that's something the left had for a very long time. I've talked to before. There was the Socialist Party of America Congress from 1910. They had a report that was actually, and it's hilarious because it's basically describing the same dynamic that followed Occupy Wall Street because they're like, you know, 
the great capitalists of industry like to um, distract the workers of the world with, you know, racial and ethnic grievances to keep them, you know, distracted from their class, um, you know, interests. And it's really interesting because it's, it's describing basically, you know, they say in 2011 or so, after Occupy Wall Street, it was, that's where a lot of the wokeness really exploded in terms of obsession about race. And so many of the newspapers started pushing that and but it is really intriguing. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think one of the things that I get from this and looking over the last couple of years, you know, and again, this is another thing of like why, why the, why the establishment is in such a bad position is like, like what I tell people is like, you can tell how strong and efficient something is if, you know, look at the effort they have to put in to do something compared to how much they get out. And, you know, I said this in November, 2020 after the election, I was like, look, like there was like there was twenty nine toss up seats in Congress. The Republicans won every single one of them. Um, you know, even if everything that was going on, and still I think Trump was like forty thousand votes in three states, is what separated winning from losing. Um, you know, you look at what they had to do to do that, and it was like like they got blown out down ballot. Like they literally lost like six hundred state legislature seats. Um, you you look at what they put in and what they got out. And like they had, they had to take like, it was like global corporations and intelligence agencies and the administrative state, like all joined together to work together nakedly in front of everyone. It was obvious, like what the fuck is going on? Like the tech companies were trying to suppress everything they could um, that was negative towards Biden, like the the Hunter Biden, <laughs> the crackhead leaving his uh, laptop at the repair store. So there's like all of these things that they had to do and like that's the best they could do. Like that's it. Like that's that's not a lot of Sorry though, that's my 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 dog decided to wake up from a nap and slap her ear. She she's looking so cute over here. But yeah, you you see what I'm saying? It's like that that's one of the things of like how much effort they put in in 2020 compared to what they got. And that's another angle that I have of like, you know, this is something to be aware of of like the the tides are very much turning against them. Well, yes, you know, and this is true, but I, I suppose problem with failure mode on the right that, you know, is part of why the, you know, doomer, black pill kinds of things are, are to some degree useful, essentially, right? Is that essentially you have the, you have the Bircher, you have the, you know, you have the Bircher failure mode, which is, well, you know, the, you know, the U.S. government is run by communists, and, and you know, again, looking at the Nona project, uh, <laughs> There was a lot of elements there that wasn't wrong. But the point is they say, oh, it's all, you know, Eisenhower's a commie and everyone's a commie, so we're going to buy guns, we're going to buy our bomb shelters, we're going to wait, wait for things to fail, for things to do this, and then uh, I get to be the, uh, the the urban warlord, I get to be the suburban warlord and, and take my neighbor's wife and shoot him because he can't feed her, and I get to uh, reestablish order as a, as a right-wing thing. And that has been an uh, idea since the 50s. Basically, sit back, let things happen, and you will win and again it hasn't you know how's that working out for you uh you know in terms of your country how you know what 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 gun laws have you pushed back federally basically uh, you know how much what kind of freedom are you dealing with you know being able to hold protest places right wingers you know it's uh, part of pushback is that you know sitting back and is not enough but yes they are losing these kinds of things and this is why of course uh the attempts to you know 
uh, not to go d down the great reset the rabbit hole, but to cha to change things. They are talking about the Federal Reserve is talking about a, a central bank, a central bank digital coins, and being able to d do things with monetary policy. Um, you know, this is why, for instance, uh, you know, uh, the trucker protest in Canada didn't accomplish anything, and Trudeau showed a massive combined arms of ability to cut things off, to cut off financial connections, to be able to leverage business. They do have many powers, many sticks, as far as it goes, and they still are very effective in things. It's just that they're losing coherency of what to do. The question is, what does the right propose to do? What answers did they have? Yeah, that's a good point. You know, that actually goes back to one of the things I was thinking about, um, and I probably want to do an entirely separate um, discuss. Like we're going to cover that on this one because I think it's important, but I think we also need to really touch on this um, for an entirely separate podcast and just focus on the, on that one topic as well. But the basic thing is like that's a good point. It's like the current is sort of against them, and like you know when you're talking about the just trust and fate, sit back and wait for it to happen. I was thinking about the QAnon people with their whole, you know, popcorn, just sit back and enjoy the show stuff. And I used to cringe so hard at that because, you know, again, it's it's one of these things where you see that on the right where it's like, hey, let's hire someone to do this for us and then we'll sit back and not have to worry about it. And you can't do that. Like, you know, the, the whole thing is like, again, this is like, you know, the... The tide, the, the the fundamentals and the sentiment of the world are turning against the establishment and the left because their ideology no longer makes any sense. It doesn't answer any questions. But that doesn't mean that the right gets to sit back and just win. That means you have to, a vacuum is coming and someone has to have, anyone that has an alternative to win, like, you know, the, to, to, to finish the victory, you have to have some sort of coherent alternative a narrative to present to these people and it was interesting too when you brought up the birches i was thinking too it's like a lot of what you were describing kind of goes back to what you know peter kemp was writing about in, in my moral trouble just kind of that kookiness you see that with the birchers and you see that with like a lot of the QAnon people these days well and the you know to be fair the birchers were uh accomplished people i think it yeah. was was it robert welch founded the birchers uh you know yeah. industrials money uh there was i think it was candy fortune or something like that that established it the, the point the point is though that um you know the point is though that like you know, i get i get so tired you know to be to be a leftist here i get so tired of hearing right wingers and say that they can sit back and wait for things and they call themselves american that's not american that is a ruled serf from europe that you have the idea that is that is that is one of the citizens from yugoslavia who waits for a great ruler to do things america was about engaging in nitty-gritty politics about fighting for things about going to school board meetings about taking back power and being a representative democracy you going there and actually being part of it. Partisanship was baked into America from the very beginning. The entire town halls. Frankly, the left is a better representative of what American spirit is, which is actually participating in politics, as opposed to as opposed to the right wing, which just wants to grill and doesn't want to do things. Then admit you want you want a dictator. Admit you want a king, which is fine. You can have you can have great leader, great leader, like like a, like. Tech Pro Tito take over and took over Yugoslavia and did a very good job of it. And what happens when Tito leaves Yugoslavia? Basically, it was it was it was on a limited time bomb of Yugoslavia blowing up. And this is this is essentially what I think the right needs to do. They they themselves have been delegitimized and demoralized in terms of authority, where they don't see their own authority, which is starting to come back, which with with challenging school boards, challenging the right wing scoring hour. God bless them. It's starting to come back with actual positive policies like DeSantis.
DeSantis. God bless that man and protect him because he actually is a wonk who's actually doing wonky things. But again, it's not enough to say, well, you know, I'm going to take note of which my neighbors voted for Biden and uh, and give them dirty looks or something. You know, that doesn't achieve things. Look at who people who've achieved things. Sit down, take your brain out of it, put your Spock cap on, and say, now, wh who've achieved things? People that have actually protested and made people pay costs? Or people that haven't? You know, you have to, at some point, start to be willing to make people pay costs and to actually do things, you know, to do things so that people choose not to do. You know, it's, it's after the, after, after, you know, when, when, uh, when Vichy France fell and, uh, and uh, the, the, the resistance took over France after World War II, uh, all women that were seen as collaborators with Vichy and all that, they had their heads shaved so they could be publicly shamed. And again, this was an important thing. It's, it was a necessary, uh, necessary thing because the thing is, ultimately, people need the morality. And if you refuse to enforce morality, the morality will be made for you by someone else and probably not to what you want. The thing is, you have to establish an, en an enemy. You have to establish a negative. And you have to establish people who are uh, negative, uh, evil people. And you have to establish that for a society. Otherwise, you get drag queen story hour because it's not evil to, to do this to kids. It's not evil to do these things unless you make it so. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that's interesting is like um, the, the left has been very big about building a replacement for those social institutions that were lost. You know, like Robert Putnam talked about this, these the, the, the structures that build social capital and social institution, they started vanishing. Um, you know, if it's the Kiwanis Club or anything, you know, VFW, all those folks, you know, the numbers on that have been cratering, but the left has had this alternative that people have been able to join, a kind of a pipeline to leftist activism, which kind of gives people a cause. And it's interesting, I've read enough about, you know, stories of people who got into the extreme leftist activism, and some of these people were just like bored housewives. You know, they, they didn't have anything to do, and then they find something to do, and then they just throw themselves into it. Right. Well, again, you look at the success of left-wing movements, and you look at probably the most effective right-wing movement so far, really, that, that that's actually, you know, with, again, we have not seen the opinion, and they're, they're protesting outside Kavanaugh's house, they're sending assassins to try to kill Kavanaugh, who then uh, call the cops on themselves and they see marshals, but the pro-life movement has been has been very effective and managed to maintain to, to maintain itself. Take a look at take a look at a second for that. Fifty years, no successes, no reason to, to do stuff. They nearly win in '92 with Casey uh, versus Planned Parenthood. Uh, basically, at the last moment, the, uh, the 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 justices get cold feet and refuse to actually do what they said they would. Essentially, you know, they basically just modify slightly. The point is. They had nothing to sustain themselves, really. Like, there was no basis of federal power to sustain themselves. They were in the wilderness. They were crazy. Like, you know, oh, you believe in, you believe in, uh, you know, letting women get raped and then having them have children. Like, just, just completely delegitimized in all, in all forms of cultural, uh, cultural, uh, capital. And yet they managed to persist. They managed to continue. They managed to continue to push things at state level. And they managed, and they're finally, it looks like, at the precipice of actually achieving something for 50 years of being locked out with, like, virtually no oxygen given to them. Why? Because they argue from a moral position. The thing is, gun rights, as powerful as they've been at state levels about uh, about concealed carry and all that, 
No one is arguing for a moral purpose of what, you know, the, the assault weapons and such like that. You don't. When people talk about assault weapons, they talk about, oh well, I didn't. I need this thing. I like it. It's fun. It's cool and all this. They're not making a moral case for it. It's not moral. It's not. It's not saying you are. Uh, you are morally disarming me. You are going to leave me. You know. You know. It is moral for me to be able to shoot police officers. They're not saying that. And it, some of the more radical people are, but it's not a strong enough movement, and it's not embraced enough, and it's not truly believed by people about the moral right and the righteous indignation about people trying to remove the ability of people to defend themselves, which was the foundation of your nation, I would remind you, when, when 1775, not 1776, 1775, when Paul Revere was riding on horse to warn the British who were coming, what was he warning about? I ask you, visit, I ask you listeners, to actually tell me what Paul Revere was riding the British who were coming to do. Most Americans simply don't know their history to know what Paul Revere was warning about. Go ahead, look it up. This nation was founded on opposing uh, gun control. It yeah, was they were going to, to loot the armory. They to, to the, the, the powder alarm, yeah. to, take the, to take the powder, essentially, which was, which was the limiting factor in firearms at the time. The point is, it's, this, was, this was founded. There's a moral uh, you know, birthright to all Americans built into this nation, and yet people don't talk about them morally. They don't shun people, they don't shame people, and they don't actually feel indignation. People know what's more. People can actually feel the uh, fervor of a uh, of a convert of someone who actually believes in the mor morality of what they're arguing with, and they're scared to to frankly they're scared to engage with it. This is why you don't really hear pro life debates versus anti life debates. You don't hear it because the, because the anti life people know, they know that they will actually lose when they actually fight someone with actual moral policy. This is why they insist on dry technocratic, uh, you know, talking as opposed to actually talking about moral foundations because moral foundations can win people over. One of the important things too that um, I don't think it's touched on enough about with the abortion discussion is even the 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 pro-abortion people they they concede the morality of abortion itself. Like they never try to. You almost never hear someone hear someone say, "Yeah, abortion's a good thing. I think more people should have abortions." Like the way they approach it, the sane ones. They're like again, there are a handful of really crazy people who, are, you know, there there's always a you know someone to nut pick about whack jobbery, but the the ones who try to be effective with with their abortion rights talk are the ones who who present it as. Yes, it's an unfortunate thing, but it's it's the least worst situation given all the factors. Like they basically conceded the point that this is not something that's intrinsically good. They're just you know even when they try to, so th that's a big um, point where you're already having an advantage that they surrendered on. Right, and again, this is the the, the point. And is I feel like just to point another thing out, I feel like the right has taken the inverse with almost every other topic. You know, it's like the right kind of approaches the left with, yes, yes, you're morally superior to me, um, and I know, but yes, have you thought, you know, pulls on the green visor accounter hat, accounting hat, but my taxes for this, or, yes, you know, my bills. Counters. Yeah, it's it's never really, like, the right sort of approaches almost every other topic besides abortion with the same sort of moral stance that the pro-abortion crowd discusses it with. Right, and it's, it's a losing strategy. The point is not whether or not you agree with me on abortion, you don't agree with me on abortion. That's not the point. The point is simply talking about political capital, how you achieve changes, how you win things. I'm saying that this is, this is you know, a movement that has basically got no oxygen to, to preserve them, and yet they've managed to, to persist, and they look like they're on the cusp of major victory. You know, from a 
purely dispassionate uh, point of view, you must look at this example and look at why they succeeded. And it's because, as I said, they have the moral, they have the morality of the argument. You must take the morality of the argument. You know, it's it's not that you know libertarianism is not enough when you actually exclude morality of such things. It's not enough to say leave me alone. It's you know it's you know leave me alone to do what? Liberty is a negative proposal. Liberty is being liberated from gravity when you're actually being weightless in in space. That you know, uh, so my best understanding of this, the current physics of it, is not that there's no gravity acting upon you. You still have gravity acting upon you from Earth, from the Moon. It's that all gravitational forces are in fact counterbalancing each other. So at that point, you actually have weightlessness, which is essentially liberty. Liberty is, you know, essentially counterbalancing forces, preventing, you know, one side from winning on this, one side from winning on this. But ultimately, liberty to do what? You know, I mean, if you're liberated in space, you literally can't get momentum off of things. You can't push, you can't reach things. It's a big problem to get there. So, as I said, you have to define what your liberty is. You actually have to have a positive agenda of what you're wishing to pursue. Um, you know, and too much, too much of the, the right has conceded to the left because essentially the left pursues liberating. They try to liberate uh, women from uh, women from uh, the, the from consequences of pregnancy to be able to choose to to keep it or not. That is a choice. That is a liberation essentially of you know not a defined endpoint where conception happens. There will be a baby in most in most likelihood. Now it's a choice, and in fact, you know, in fact, choice is not necessarily the end all be all, and that's ultimately something I think the right to some degree agrees with that they don't want choice in everything they wish to have they don't want the choice of a neighborhood where people can get murdered or not they want order they don't want the choice of a city that can that can choose to burn itself down take down its monuments and uh, people get assaulted they want to have a baseline thing they want to have baselines that are inviolable yeah it's you know it's interesting you know it wasn't the intention when i when i started this point to get around to it but now that we're, we're discussing abortion um, it is one of those things that uh, kind of reinforces my original point where I was talking about, you know, the the um, spirit of the age is to encourage, you know, atomized hedonism and then, you know, insulate people from the pathologies that result from them. Abortion is actually a really good example because it encourages people to have casual sex. And hey, if the predictable result of casual sex happens, which is, you know, pregnancy we can get rid of that so it's like getting to have fun but not have to pay the consequences and that's really that's been the spirit of the age of like let's have fun let's you know not have to do any consequences for our actions but you know in almost every sphere we're looking at today it's like that the the rope is running out of what we can actually insulate people from Right. Well, and again, I, I you know to, to go back to your idea of to go back to idea where uh uh, people are attempting to. Uh, people are open to a social change when the when the when the larder is full, when it's not full, when the gas is too expensive to get to work. Uh, they they they're they're much more unwilling to have it. Uh, you know, one of the things noted in the revolutions, of course, is that um, actually that revolutions don't tend to actually happen uh, when things get worse, when there's actual, uh, when there's actually, when things have been declining for a while. They actually happen when lives are improving and then they stop. People get used to these things improving and all that because part of the legitimacy is based off of that. And, it, you know, the thing is to, um, 
what what happens is you can basically buy people off with 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 gadgets with improving qualities of life and essentially people that are unhappy with status quo can be called cranks can be called cranks for not doing it and in fact the only legitimate position in a world where things are growing everything is getting better is someone that's trying to contribute to world getting better in that direction so you know it's it's the legitimacy is well they've they've you know they've you know increased my purchasing power uh, i have more money in my paycheck every day this person's legitimate and when that when that decreases though all of a sudden the other policies i mean I, you know I, I meant to hit this earlier but really the real problem with when you face crime when you face crime like chase Boudin and all this is everyone knows the government is supposed to have monopoly on violence when government can't exercise its monopoly on violence effectively then every other thing is illegitimate and the legitimacy of agreeing with them being in charge of other policy proposals when they fail their most basic Maslow's hierarchy of need function this calls everything into question I mean the thing is ultimately there is no answer the, you know right now there are people protesting outside of justices uh, justice Kavanaugh's house when there's federal law against this and i was just reading an article admittedly from fox news but fox news was saying that the neighbors there that spoke to them on condition of anonymity were saying that they were told by the police that the federal that their federal partners are you know are refusing to enforce the actual law against protesting outside a justice's house to influence a political action so in fact the justices themselves are now facing the anarcho tyranny that was warned about for decades and even justices supreme court justices are not free from this so the thing is, the delegitimization is really a one-way ratchet as far as it goes, and it's very hard to put Genie back in the bottle and to re-legitimize. To some degree, Clinton did that in the 90s, and that he was he was a truly a political genius. But, uh, you know, I don't see people that have the ability to, to triangulate, to do the Clinton-esque things. And again, Biden was was one of the people who did the major crime bill, and now, he, of course, he's completely walked away from that. There is no... Um, you need, essentially... Uh, a period of wilderness at the very least for for Democrats and for them to be able to come back and to basically be to to basically crime bill again to even have a chance. I think one of the interesting things about like Bill Clinton as we go back to them is you know there was this this incident where Bill Clinton actually humiliated Jesse Jackson Jr. in public because he had like sister soldier who was at an event with her and there was a big speechifying thing going on and she made some comments that Clinton interpreted as being anti-white and he like publicly called her and jackson out um this is like right before the election and it's really interesting because another big thing clinton talked about was you know anti-immigration about securing the border and you know trying to work on like trade and stuff like that which was it was really interesting because you know these are things like trump is being called a fascist for but they're all things that really like bill clinton talked about even in the 90s um well that's been a really good discussion and thanks for we've had brought up a lot of really good points here um we're gonna have some more stuff on here soon i do need to kind of cut this a little short because the puppy dog is starting to beg to go outside to go play kick fetch so thanks for tuning in i hope you all found this interesting and i hope this discussion kind of answered some of the questions that were asked of me a few days ago and i'll catch y'all later thanks for coming on tech bro let's do it